Please be seated. You might like to keep your Bibles open at that passage, because that's the passage we're looking at uh, this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at this passage this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would feed our minds, our emotions and our thoughts so that we might become more like Jesus. Amen. Well, we're used to our lives, aren't we, being marked by significant events and stages which we celebrate So we talk about childhood, we talk about young people, middle age, old age. We mark those significant events in our lives, like birthdays. We mark them. Weddings and anniversaries. I thought you might find that a bit funny. Um, And uh, employment and retirement. They are stages in our lives that all of us will have had some experience of, of some of these events. Well, this morning we're looking at Jesus. The beginning and the end of Jesus' life on earth is marked by people worshipping him. If you remember, when Jesus was born, there was the shepherds, there were the wise men, there was Simeon and Anna in the temple when the Bible was taken for dedication. And we see it at the end of Jesus' life as well, when his disciples worshipped him as he ascended to heaven. And then they return to the temple in Jerusalem where they praise God. So we've got these different stages in life. It's a special time, it's a moment of change when Jesus will finish his earthly existence and move on to his heavenly experience. So it's a special time for Jesus, but it's also a special time for the people who are his friends, his family, and his followers. So what can we then uh, take from this passage this morning? How can we be encouraged if we're followers of Jesus and challenged by it? Well, as I was reading it and I was praying about it, Three points came to me from this passage in front of us. The first point is this, the importance that Jesus gives to the Old Testament scriptures. We know that from the Acts of the Apostles that Jesus had spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection and before he ascended. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that he spent uh, 24 hours a day with them, But this was on top of the three years that he'd been with them when he'd been preaching, healing, and living with them. Yet within Luke's Gospel of chapter 24, we see that despite this, Jesus still feeds the need to explain the nature of his death and resurrection. And he needs to point out to them that these events were prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. Now this is despite the fact that we'd read earlier that he'd met with two followers on that road to Emmaus and that he'd appeared to the disciples on other occasions as well. 
And so I think this points us to the fact that Jesus really rated these scriptures. He thought them important. He recognized that the disciples didn't understand and link these scriptures with him. And so as I was thinking about this, I wondered, how much importance do we give to them? Could we lead others to faith in Jesus through the Old Testament scriptures? Well, we read in verses 44 to 45 that Jesus opened the disciples' minds to the Old Testament scriptures, particularly to the writings of Moses, the prophets, but also the Psalms. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that all of the Old Testament points towards the Messiah, and that Messiah is he. Now, if you want some background homework, these passages point towards Jesus. Deuteronomy 18, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Psalm 16. And Jesus is clearly identifying himself with God's plan of salvation for his people, the Jews, but also for the rest of the world. Now, we might not find that this is, uh, we might not think that this is terribly relevant in modern evangelism. But it is if you're speaking to Jewish people or Muslims. It is if we recognize that the biblical canon of Scripture is challenged by liberal theologians and a secular world in which we live. And so, as Jesus followers, we need to understand, don't we, the completeness of God's Word both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in a society where we don't have much background knowledge now of Scripture, we should be able to place Jesus firmly into God's plan of salvation for all people. And this is why we here at this church put God's Word at the centre of our preaching, at the centre of our teaching of young people and children, and at the centre of our sung worship. So we may well believe this as a church, but what about for each one of us? May we be challenged this morning, this issue of linking Jesus into God's plan of salvation through Old Testament scripture. So we see then the first point, that Jesus places himself into the plan of God's salvation through these Old Testament passages. But secondly, we see the importance of uh, the witness of Jesus' followers. Look at verses 46 to 48. He told them, this is what's written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that you, my disciples, will preach repentance and forgiveness, starting locally here in Jerusalem, but you will also witness to the fact that this will continue in other parts of the world. Now, we are used to, in our modern age, mission statements. And I think this is a wonderful, positive statement by Jesus. This is going to happen You don't need to be cowered now behind locked doors anymore. No, your task is to go and do this. It's a message, isn't it, that endorses worldwide evangelism. 
And this message is repeated in the other Gospels as well. Mark 16 and uh, Matthew. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all mankind. Now, of course, we have the benefit of history. And the followers of Jesus have done this down throughout the ages in various ways with various degrees of success. But it's a process that's going to continue. And we that follow Jesus today can be a part of this process. We have the advantage, of course, of history where we can see the spread of the gospel message throughout the world. But it still needs to go on because every day new babies are born, new generations rise and they need to hear of Jesus' works and his teaching. That gospel of repentance and forgiveness. And of course, this isn't just in far-off places like Africa and India and the other parts of the world. It's here locally as well in Norwich and in England. Now I can almost hear the murmurs in the congregation. I haven't been given the gift of evangelism. I'm not sure that this is politically acceptable. It's not what we do. We make so many excuses, don't we? I do, I make excuses. I keep quiet rather than sharing the good news that Jesus has died for my sins. We don't like to talk about sin and repentance. We're in the need to come before a holy living God believing that Jesus can take those sins away. We tend to think it's old-fashioned. It's something that Billy Graham did in the 1960s. It's something the old-time fire and brimstone preachers did. Well, friends, can I say this? This is what Jesus called his disciples to do, to witness to his life, his works and his teaching. And if we have the joy of worshipping the Son of God who died for us, surely this is what we will want to do as well. But note, Jesus is very practical with his followers. He recognises their weaknesses and the difficulty of the task. He realises their lack of power and ability. We see this because we read that he makes them a promise which will allow this work to go on fruitfully which is my third point. The importance of waiting for the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 49. Jesus tells the disciples that they must stay in Jerusalem until they have been clothed with power from on high. And we see the same in the account in Acts, don't we? The risen Jesus has the power to send the Spirit of God upon his followers. The power and the spirit is from God on high. It's a spiritual power that will allow them to do what Jesus did. But note, they have to wait. Now, of course, waiting implies that there is nothing that can be done. It's an activity that isn't well thought of today. We don't like the idea of waiting for things. We tend to think of waiting as a period of non-action, of sitting around in a circle doing nothing, of waiting for a bus that doesn't turn up. But can I suggest that waiting here, in fact, doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing. 
Look at the disciples, how they spent their time after Jesus had left and before the Holy Spirit was given to them. We read in verses 51 to 53 that they praised and worshipped Jesus on the hillside. And then they returned to Jerusalem and they went to the public place of worship, the temple, where they continued to worship God. And in Acts 2, we read how the disciples were together, meeting in a room, praying and worshipping together when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so we read that Jesus gives them a great work to do, but promises them help with it, which comes directly from God. It's a spiritual help with power and authority. It was a help that gave those disciples the insight to remember all that Jesus had taught and done so they could write it down. A power that would enable them to continue Jesus' work and even do more than Jesus did. That is, miracles, healings, teaching and loving others. And we have that privilege, don't we, of being able to read about this in the book of Acts and other letters written within the New Testament. But there were mighty works done, mighty sermons preached, and many people turned to God and worshipped Jesus as a result of this gift being given to them. So the question for us this morning is then, what do we do with this account? Is it just history? Yes, a real account of what happened 2,000 years ago. Some Christians will say, this is how we should read these passages. The passage shows us the beginning of a new time, the formation of the, Christ, of the Church of Christ, a new kingdom. And these events were special, and the gifts were special that were restricted to that time. Other Christians would say that this is an account of the formation of the church, but it's a process that must go on. They point to the message of Jesus, which states his followers will continue to do his works. Look in John 14, verse uh, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done and, and have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, there will be continued to be healings, miracles, prophecies. People will turn to Jesus because of these events. Now, I have heard and read of such events that still happen today in our society, in our time, through people turning to follow Jesus. But whether we believe that this gift of the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit are for today or are confined to history, we know, don't we, that leading people to Christ is difficult. People in Britain have free access to Bibles, to online Bibles, to sermons, to churches. There are many Christians in our country who are witnessing to others in home and in their society and at work. And yet the masses still don't turn to him. Why is it so difficult well, I believe it's difficult because it's a spiritual battle. Paul writes in Romans 8 that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And in Ephesians 6, that we are engaged in spiritual warfare because winning men for Christ involves spiritual battles. Therefore, we need power because we battle against spiritual forces. And so in my own experience, I do find that I need help in witnessing to others. 
just to share with you one uh, uh, recent account. A couple of days ago, I was in a pub waiting for some friends, and uh, a friend's father was there. He's in his 80s, and I've known him for several years, and his uh, physical uh, situation is changing. He's getting weaker and weaker, and he probably hasn't got too much longer. And as he sat there, I thought, I should be telling him the good news that Jesus offers us. But I found it so difficult. I needed the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to do that. Remember Jesus' promises to his followers. We will do more than he did. So what does this mean to us? Well, different things in different situations, certainly. Certainly if we're engaged in witnessing to others, we need, don't we, the help of the Holy Spirit. And this may well result in manifestations of the Spirit as given in Corinthians, but it may not. It may empower us to withstand criticism and opposition, but it would be foolish to go into the battle without the weapons and armour of God, which comes from his word and his spirit. So as we come to a close, look at that picture again of the followers of Jesus on earth as they stand there with Jesus and as they left him. A picture of a relatively small group of people who were joyfully praising God and waiting for God's gift of power so they could witness to the world concerning Jesus and his gift of salvation. May we be likewise like they were, joyful, praising God and leading people and children to Jesus, so transforming the society in which we live. Amen.